Welcome to episode six of uh, Food Circle Podcast, Business Life. Um, today with us, we have got myself as usual, Paul Simpson, and we've got... James. And we've also, <laughs> we've also got um, special guests this week as well. We mentioned last week on the podcast that we'll be having Andy Needham here today from Approved Food. Afternoon. Uh, I'm and Sons, and we've got him. Thanks very much for coming, Andy. No problem. Appreciate Thanks for asking it. us. No, no problem at all. Um, Basically, we we've got quite similar um, businesses, really, haven't we? So we've got yeah. approved food online retailer. We'll get into that. Um, both entrepreneurs. That's why we want to get Andy in here to talk about his story um, with his businesses, not just one business, um, and your experience. So we're, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, likewise. So, and if you could just start off with, you know, personal background, um, where did you grow up, any entrepreneurial family, all that sort of thing? Yeah, it's, just looking back, it's, it's not something I really talk about right much, uh, my childhood, but uh, you guys have triggered a few memories <laughs> just thinking about it. Um, born in Huddersfield, always been Huddersfield lad, still live, still live in Huddersfield. Uh, Early days spent a little place called Lindley. Uh, yeah. Nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, myself, oldest child, mum and dad. Uh, got a brother two years younger than me, Mark. Uh, and yeah, just nothing out of the ordinary, I don't think, yeah. on, on that score. Um, dad was a, a site agent, worked on the building sites. So some of my earliest memories are going going to work with me with my dad. Uh, getting into the, the side tuts, filling my pockets with nails and stealing nails and things like that when I was about four, five, six year old, going home and banging them into pieces of wood. It came out of the building game, uh, probably around the uh, 95. Uh, there was a really bad recession back then. Yeah. Uh, building trade just absolutely turned to shit. Uh, and at the time, my uncle uh, owned a shop, he was retiring. So we moved from uh, Lindley down about three miles away to a little place called Elland, mm. which is halfway between uh, Huddersfield and Halifax. Yeah. Uh, so, 11, 11 year old on uh, year old onwards, I uh, grew up in a shop. So, I think that's probably my first uh, work experience, if you like. So, yeah. stacking shelves, serving customers, uh, weighing potatoes, uh, first Sunday paper round. Uh, so always had always had that early work ethic and uh, dealing with customers, dealing with money, and uh, yeah, just grafting really. Was that your dad's shop then? He started the shop after building. Yeah, he, he bought he, he bought it from my uncle when my uncle retired. Mm. Uh, little self service shop, uh, sold everything under the sun. We were a bit like Arkwright. In fact, his nickname was Arkwright from uh, <laughs> a lot of the local customers. I, I ended up being Granville. Uh, but yeah, open all hours. Uh, before supermarkets really took off, the, the local supermarket was uh, Hillard's oh, yeah. up in up in Brighouse. Uh, Tesco did buy Hillard's, and it became it became a Tesco a little bit further down the line. But uh, back in those days, like I say, mid seventies, you know, people shop local really. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so uh, grounding in food right from a 
right from an early yeah. early age. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, you first sort of uh, grounded in food and retail as well. Do you think that's what sort of um, maybe made you come back to it later in life, or do you think it had a, had a part to play? I think I think it did because yeah. uh, obviously it was part of growing up in a shop. I spent a lot of time going to cash and carries, Batley's back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, filling the car up where with groceries, mm-hmm. bringing them back, stacking shelves. It's yeah, that early early exposure to retail and uh, food and drink, I think has come full circle and obviously we'll talk about the businesses that I'm involved in yeah. a bit later on. But uh, yeah. certainly, you know, the early exposure to uh, uh, entrepreneurship, if you like, is, is back then. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. Sumer's in Elland as well, isn't it? Sumer Wholesale. Sumer is now, yeah. yeah. It didn't exist back in the really? back yeah. in the seventies, but uh, yeah. So Sumer's a fantastic, fantastic yeah. uh, business. Obviously, a, a workers' cooperative, which is yeah. quite unique still. But the the quality of the products and the, the type of goods they sell yeah. is fabulous. Yes, yeah. that's where we started, wasn't it? First the company we dealt with, yeah, yeah. To get our to get our uh, business kicked off and fill our website with some uh, early stock. Yeah, when yeah. we first started the website. Um, Anyone that's listened to this that bought off our first website when we first started, because we didn't have obviously we weren't working with any like suppliers or anything, no actual surplus coming in. But we thought we need to launch something, so we uh, found a wholesale for like the type of products we sell. Found Suma, and just like bought from there like um, not clearance, sort of special office section. Yeah, bought like twenty five lines, like a case of each, like nut butters, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and just sold it at a loss. Put it on the website. Just Sell, so selling at a loss. That yeah. that's not good. That's no, not a good start. No. We'll, we'll come back to that later as well. <laughs> no, no, it's it not a good really start. Not. Thankfully, we got away with it. But I think we just thought if we, you know, it's going to take us a while to deal with like different brands and different manufacturers and stuff. So if we if we launch a website with just like one thing on it, someone supplied us. It's not yeah. going to be a great start. So we sort of tried to have a, a bash at like getting a range together, but. Yeah, it wasn't the biggest success that we've had, put it that way, but, you know, it's, uh, it started us off. And, uh, yeah, they are, it's a cracking company. It's yeah. a cracking company. Yeah, yeah, I remember going to see him and being buzzing, leaving the meeting. I had a meeting with a guy called Gary there, and uh, he was like, oh, it's a, it's a really good idea you've got. I remember leaving just, like, thinking, oh, this, this is going to work. <laughs> they haven't even done anything. Yeah. But, but, yeah, anyone, anyone listening to the podcast that's starting a business, running at a loss, it, yeah, don't do it for too long. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to last. No. Um, but yeah, so how did you go into? So you're working in a shop at 11 years old. Yeah, I think it's illegal. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, it lost up money I were earning. <laughs> I'd have a field day with employment laws. This yeah, nowadays, yeah, but uh, yeah, he, he used to take advantage of his kids, didn't he, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> Not in that way, but <laughs> financially. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, yeah. Well, when it's your family business. That's kind of how things used to be, isn't it? Like everybody gets stuck in and yeah. helps out. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, it was full on, seven days a week. Uh, I can even remember him opening on Christmas day for a couple of hours to sell batteries to kids who might have just had some yeah. some toys that needed batteries. Absolutely ridiculous when I look back on it, but yeah. just the kind of character yeah. uh, he is, still is, uh, and was. But uh, mm. yeah, that, that early stage grounding in, uh, in business was, was yeah, yeah. a really good start point. Uh, from there, was it growing up in growing up in Elland, uh, school was good. You know, I used to play school football team, and uh, I think again some of my early earliest memories as a kid was uh, I used to follow Speedway mm. at Halifax when it was there, and again ridiculous now. But I, 11, 12, 13 year old, I used to go off 
uh, on the supporters coaches all over the country mm. on my own and uh, again one of the little memories that came back earlier was uh, uh, you guys are t- too young for this but yeah. you know where were you when you heard Elvis died <laughs> yeah. and I was I was in Leicester for his service uh, services station just been to Leicester Speedway about half 11 at night uh, and 12 year old on my own on a coach that's where I was and again it's pretty unheard of these days but life life was different then there was you know computers didn't exist uh, you made your own entertainment and, and sport playing sport watching sport was was one of the one of the key things so I got to about uh, 15 I've got a little surprise me uh, my mum and dad uh, sprung on me that they were, were having another another baby yeah. so my youngest brother Darren he uh, he was born when I was uh, 15 year old so again I used to play football for the school team and uh, I'd take him up in the pram on Saturday morning, park him behind the goals, I were a goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, he'd sit there at six, seven month old, I'd play football and I'd wheel pram back down to <laughs> down home. Uh, again, not not great for your, for your street credit school when you, your mother's turning up <laughs> seven, eight months pregnant to parents' evenings when you're in fifth form. But uh, yeah. yeah, it was good times. Yeah, looking back on it, it's... Uh, uh, it was a really good time. I, I left, I left school at sixteen. I didn't go on and do A levels. Uh, I went on a on a course at Huddersfield Technical College, uh, an engineering course. Uh, when I finished the fifth form, I didn't know whether I was going to go back to sixth form or not. But I saw an advert in in the local paper, uh, and this course paid a bursary. I think it was seventeen pound twenty a week, yeah. and that was a fortune. So I thought, right, I like that. I'll sign up for that. Right. So I ended up doing a two-year engineering uh, course at uh, Huddersfield College. Uh, whilst I was there, I, I managed to uh, uh, get a sponsorship and then a, a job at David Brown Gears, an engineering company, a big engineering company in Huddersfield at the time, buying gearboxes and, and the like to mines and steelworks and when you know when the country still had a, a proper manufacturing industrial base. Mm. Uh, so off the back of that, I ended up going to Bradford university and doing an engineering degree for four years there so came out as really living in a shop and ended up being a, being an engineer yeah, which nice. was was a bit of a bit of a side step I want something I was planning on doing but uh, I did enjoy it uh, and got again a good grounding of uh, manufacturing different operational uh, uh, facilities foundries fabrication shops you know uh, all, all kinds of different things and, and again looking back some of some of the things I still get involved in now when it comes to operational efficiencies and things like that all stem from from my days in manufacturing yeah. uh, and engineering so again good good times back then uh, uni was uh, was great fun Bradford <laughs> at the time it's changed a bit now but it was uh, uh, my first introduction to curries and uh, that's <laughs> never gone I absolutely love love Indian food uh, and probably eat it every meal if I could. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's meant to be amazing for curries in Bradford, isn't it? Yeah. Do you recommend one out there? It's a nice <laughs> takeaway, you know, in Bradford. The ones I used to go to have long been shut down yeah. by health, but uh, yeah, there was one I remember straight opposite the mortuary, which yeah. uh, is still going, I think Karachi or something like that. But yeah. back then, no knives and forks, you know, curry, onion barges, £1.20, three japatis, and just dip it in and, <laughs> and, and eat, your, eat your meal. Yeah. So. Yeah, I had some fantastic, fantastic times at uni. Yeah. Uh, when I came, finished uni, I, I carried on with David Brown for uh, 
for another 12 months and then joined uh, another local engineering company called Brook Motors, Brook Crompton. Uh, that business made electric motors for everything under the sun. Uh, again, huge electric motors all the way down to, to tiny, tiny motors in pumps and uh, cement mixers and, and things like that. So they, we were all there though, was actually in Doncaster. So I yeah. started uh, as product marketing manager, which uh, using some of the engineering manufacturing background I got from the shop floor, mm. but uh, exposed in, a, in a, a marketing sense. So again, I got a nice little bit of experience there in, in, in marketing. Again, long before computers and digital marketing as we've got it now. So it was catalogues and exhibitions and things like that at the time. Yeah. Uh, but really loved uh, loved my time at Brook, at Brook Crompton in, in Donny. Uh, worked for the best boss I've ever ever had, uh, Bob Priestley. Uh, fantastic guy, just a, a working a working bloke, uh, managing director uh, there, but. He, it just roll his sleeves up and get stuck in. Yeah. Mm. Picked up some fantastic tips of uh, like things like putting uh, half bricks in your, in all your toilet systems to cut down your water consumption and mm. remove every second light bulb to cut cut electric down and uh, <laughs> cost saving things like that. Again, little things that always stick with you for uh, uh, you know over future years. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bob used to be full time MD during the week and then he'd, he'd go and work in his. Uh, his wife's uh, fruit and veg shop on, yeah. on, on the Saturday so you'd, you'd turn up in Lindley and he'd be there serving behind the counter potatoes, <laughs> bananas, apples, whatever uh, again fantastic work work ethic that uh, I bought into from, yeah. uh, from Bob uh, and he very successfully went on and, and did a management buyout of uh, Crompton, Crompton Lighting yeah. uh, sold it a few years later and uh, made a few quid out of it uh, but he's still the same guy now as he was back then. But yeah. uh, these little things that you pick up along over the years, you know, they just stick with you. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm from Donny myself. I'm pretty sure my grandma and granddad worked for Crumps. Everybody worked at Crumps in, back in the day. It was huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where my grandma and granddad met. Really? Yeah, my dad's parents. Yeah, I'm sure they met at Crumps. I'll have to check that with my with my dad. But yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So yeah. God. So how did Flint come up? Yeah, well, this, this uh, Yorkshire's a small place, isn't it? <laughs> but um, how uh, how influential was he then on you? Was like in terms of like letting your um, entrepreneurial side of things sort of flourish. I think he probably wasn't influential on on that side, mm. but certainly just his people skills were yeah. absolutely fantastic. He'd roll his sleeves up and just get involved mm. in anything. If boxers needed packing at the end of the. Uh, the winding line or whatever he'd be there he'd, he'd roll the sleeves up and just get stuck in and, and I could just see how the, the staff really respected him looked looked up to him uh, he looked after him well uh, and they you know, ran through brick walls for him and that is probably one of the main learning points I saw mm. from that is mm. how important people are and treating yeah. people right uh, and if you do that you know they'll, they'll go on that journey with you all all the mm. way to the end and uh, yeah, that side of things was a, a real, real thing that stuck with me and still yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's important, as especially as you're growing up. Um, if you've got loads of different jobs, you see bad bosses and really good bosses, don't you? Mm. And it's about you can learn so much from like observing and things like that. It's, yeah, it's what to do and what not to do. Yeah, well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 both both sides of it. So, yeah. uh, so 
really enjoyed my time in, in engineering, but uh, had a bit of a turning point in 1991. Uh, Mum and Dad, they'd sold the shop about three years earlier mm. uh, and, of all things, bought a caravan site <laughs> in, uh, in Morecambe, of yeah. all places. Uh, so uh, it's quite an interesting one because I was, I was at Brook Motors when uh, I came home and he, he said we, we're, they were looking at all sorts. They were looking at bed and breakfasts and they'd looked at various sites and he brought the books home from uh, the site in Morecambe and said, just, just have a look at these for me. And uh, going through them, I could just see there was no way that they were the actual books for this caravan site. <laughs> uh, they, 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 just, they just did not stick up at all. Uh, you counted the number of vans, you worked out how many people were there, things like that. It it could not be right. Uh, as it transpired a bit further down the track, uh, the guy who owned it did actually operate two sets of books. Uh, so he was <laughs> he was taking brass out on an oh, ongoing God. basis. But when it came to the point where he, he had to sell his business, he had to sell the business on the back of the lower books. Because <laughs> that's all he could declare. So uh, fortunately... Mum and Dad managed to do a fantastic deal, yeah. uh, and up sticks moved over to Morecambe, uh, took on quite a bit of debt to to buy the business, uh, but paid it back within eighteen months because the site was just so much more profitable than yeah. uh, uh, than the book said at the time. So after running that for a couple of years, uh, there was another caravan site just up the road in a little place called Haysham, uh, called Ocean Edge which much bigger site, uh, 70 odd acres of land, uh, 500 static caravans, uh, bars, disco, swimming pools, touring caravans, uh, all kinds of kinds of uh, things involved in, in that site. Uh, and he put a bid in to buy it, which was accepted. And he asked me and, and Mark, who was in engineering at a different company in Huddersfield, do we want to come over to, uh, to Morecambe, join the family business? Yeah. and get involved so uh, it wasn't too difficult of a decision so packed, packed the bags moved over uh, to Morecambe and uh, ended up running a running a caravan site <laughs> which was again brand new uh, my dad does things slightly differently and uh, he dropped it in shit a little bit because he, <laughs> he bought the caravan site on the uh, Thursday went in for a a hip replacement operation on the Friday uh, and left basically me and, and, and my partner to uh, run the caravan site on the first day over Springbank holiday weekend which oh, is the God. busiest weekend really for any any holiday park uh, <laughs> so it was a baptism of fire you could say uh, uh, yeah. all kinds of things went off over that weekend and again as, as an experience a learning experience uh, it was fantastic so mm. I, I spent three years working with my dad over there. Uh, we fell out constantly. Yeah. Uh, and I know a lot of people get involved in, in family businesses. Uh, a lot of the times it works out. Mm. Uh, uh, for me personally, it didn't uh, because a few things went off. Uh, the major one really was uh, uh, we were going to relocate properly to, to Morecambe. Mm. Uh, a few things went off and we ended up, my missus stayed in, in Huddersfield. So I was living in a caravan uh, in Morecambe and uh, coming home one night a week, usually on a Tuesday, uh, and rest of the time we, we were apart, which it's isn't not isn't the great greatest thing for a relationship. 
Um, really enjoyed my time though working in the caravan site. Uh, I was entertainments manager, so uh, we had a, a big cabaret room, four uh, hundred seater. Uh, when live cabaret was uh, w was a thing again before. Uh, karaoke and yeah. backing tracks and all that kind of stuff so we had a, a live band uh, keyboard drummer uh, compare and every night through the uh, peak part of the season live acts on every single night so I was out Sounds booking class. yeah booking booking entertainment you know Jim Bones and George Ropers and some of, some of the comedians of the past yeah. groups um, Black Lace uh, always went down really well Agadu Superman <laughs> kids fantastic <laughs> Um, and Bavarian Stompers and Muldoon Brothers and all people you've never heard of yeah, yeah. As, <laughs> a, a as a as a entertainment for a, a good night out for you know working working people which is, is what the site were, were for yeah. you know, loads of people from Wigan and Bolton and yeah. all those guys over there so I enjoyed it being a Yorkshireman just spending mm. a bit of culture and uh, mm. you know, teaching them a few things yeah. how to make a cup of tea Oh, some of the words they use and things like that. Just, I yeah. still don't understand them today. But uh, yeah, being a, a cultural am ambassador over on, in the northwest was, yeah. I enjoyed that role. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, relationship with my father wasn't wasn't brilliant. We were falling out all the time. He he did used to like to tell customers to f off and stuff like that. And <laughs> I, I'd be a little bit more diplomatic uh, and and you know try and work things through rather than being slightly too abrupt uh, loads and loads of things went off but I think there for another for another day yeah. uh, but I think the key turning point was uh, me and my missus uh, we had as, as first child yeah. Alex uh, eldest daughter uh, but I was still living in a caravan and uh, my daughter and my partner was uh, was in Huddersfield and it just wasn't right yeah, relationship that's... wasn't good with, with my dad over there the relationship wasn't good with my missus and I just had to take a decision, and uh, mm. probably one of the most petulant, petulant might be the wrong word, but uh, one of the decisions I took was I just one day packed my car up, took everything out of my caravan and came home, mm. uh, and that was it. Uh, came back, had nothing to do, nothing to go to, but I just knew it was the right decision for, uh, yeah. for my relationship and my, and my, uh, my family. Mm. Uh, that was midsummer. Uh, and again, reading the paper, uh, I saw an advert for uh, uh, full-time MBA at Huddersfield University. Right. Uh, again, I'd, I'd, I'm not a great student, but it, it just felt like the, the right thing to do. Mm. I'd, I've got experience in manufacturing, family business, uh, and I thought the MBA, uh, there's a lot of crap in it, but there's also some really, really good nuggets. So the fact it was, full-time but part-time so I could go into lectures, live at home, come back, uh, uh, look after my daughter uh, and, and do my project work and all that kind of stuff around it. It just it just worked. So for 16 months, uh, full-time MBA, uh, was still in touch with the guys uh, from Brook Motors, Bob and uh, Philip Howard, the ex-chairman, uh, and they, they were looking at uh, buying and uh, management buyout opportunities, companies to acquire. So I, I was involved with them. I was doing a lot of research into potential uh, acquisitions, mm. different types of businesses, uh, and it worked really well because I was, I was actually using 
my research and things, so my coursework and uh, and the practical stuff I was doing, I was able to put into the academic side as well. And uh, I did did a dissertation around uh, management buy-ins and management buyouts and the and the, the processes involved. Uh, and as part of that research, I got in touch with quite a few of uh, the corporate financiers and venture capitalists in the in the Yorkshire region. Uh, at the time, as a mature student, can you? Uh, you know, spare half an hour can I come and talk to you can I ask you a few questions about my research yeah. uh, and again found that really interesting the fact that I, I could just get in touch with people and they, they would uh, pick up the phone or reply to <laughs> one yeah. emails at the time it was still before emails so I was sending letters <laughs> again you won't know what letters are because you're, <laughs> you're never, never, never heard of it but uh, yeah, so to send a letter to somebody and get a reply back saying, yeah, I can spare half an hour and a week on Tuesday was, was fantastic. Uh, and again, another twist of fate, bit of accident. Uh, one of the, the venture capital companies I approached, uh, I went, had a, had a good hour meeting and asked a load of questions and things like that. Uh, and out of the blue, about a week later, they got in touch with me and said, we're looking for somebody with industrial experience to come on board as a uh, uh, investment executive uh, to help us find investments make investments uh, in companies you know would you be interested uh, again something I'd never really thought about uh, previously uh, but when I looked into it I thought in fact it, it's, a, it's a fantastic move is that because I've got by now manufacturing operational experience well, family yeah. business uh, and that would expose me to financial and legal and all kinds of uh, other aspects that I'd never you know never touched upon so I, uh, I accepted that role uh, and went to work for a company called Capital for Companies uh, really looking for investments venture capital private equity investments uh, 250 to 500,000 so very very small in the, in the scheme of things yeah. uh, but what that gave me I, I went and met a lot of management teams, looked at a lot of different businesses, industries, uh, made a lot of investments. Uh, I seemed to really click with, with the teams that I went to uh, to talk to and MDs and things. I think they could really, uh, the fact that I, I wasn't an accountant, yeah, <laughs> I think was the key worth. thing, because a lot of people in Veg Capital are, are come up through the corporate finance route, the yeah. accountancy route, the audit route, uh, and to be honest, you, you're looking at numbers all day and you're playing with spreadsheets but you, you don't actually understand how a business works yeah, what the mechanics are yeah. behind it what, how those numbers are actually generated mm. and the fact that I'd, I'd had exposure to that and, and seen a lot of things uh, I think that went in my favour so uh, I moved on from uh, Capital for Companies after about three years and joined uh, another business called Murray Johnston um, and they were based in Sheffield, uh, but when I joined them, I knew the guys who uh, uh, were the main players and said, look, we need to be in Leeds, we need to open an office in Leeds. Yeah. So I came on board to help them do that. Um, slightly bigger investments, quarter of a million up to a million uh, was the sweet spot. Uh, but the thing is with any investment, the, the process is exactly the same, whether you're investing 10 quid or 100 million, you still got to go through exactly the same uh, same things it's just the numbers on checks and, and in agreements are, are slightly different but it's it's still about the management teams the industry 
prospects, all, all the kind of things that you just need to try and understand mm. uh, to to back businesses that have got you know a good future. So yeah, yeah. yeah those those five six years in venture capital were uh, were extremely valuable. Uh, looking back on it now, you know I probably. I'm not going to say I wasted my first 15 years in, in <laughs> my work life because I've, I've got experience in a whole raft of different things, but it really, really set me up yeah. uh, for what I've done since, and obviously we'll, we'll touch on that in uh, in a while. But uh, sounds like you were picking up like little bits, like early days in the shop, customer service, but without even knowing it, because that is massive, isn't it? Especially when you're doing online retail, like and having to deal with customers, then like all the behind the scenes stuff, how to run a company engineering stuff like that which you know processes and yeah. all that sort of thing is important being asked um, to look at books by your dad as well like <laughs> yeah. you know, finance i'm guessing yeah. i'm guessing that was like a quite an early introduction to that sort of thing was it yeah yeah i'm, I'm not an accountant but i do understand figures i, I, I do a, yeah. and have done a, a lot of research on, on companies looking at the figures that they uh, they, uh, they put into the public domain uh, I've seen a lot of management accounts and things like that, and you you can just see indicators that, that jump out over a while. And uh, again, going back to stuff you guys won't have a clue what I'm talking about, but uh, when when you used to try and get uh, information on companies, uh, you had to go to well, the nearest company's house building was in in Leeds, right. and all the information was stored on microfiche. Right. You ever heard of that? Yeah. You well, have. I, well, I did, a, I, did a, I did a history degree, so I've, yeah. I've, I've got a bit of an idea. But my, microfiche was really, the, you know, the uh, you know, the the disc of of, of oh, those those. You're having a look at that. I've got a clue what I'm talking a about. A flat piece of film contains micro photographs. It, yeah, it, it's like you know, going back to in the war when they used to take maps and and you know miniaturize them and uh, get a load of information to a small space. That's what they used to do with. Uh, companies' accounts. So I used to have to go put a request in, go back a week later, and they'd they'd, they'd have found them in the in the storage system, and then you'd you'd have to look at a microfiche reader and write things down. You couldn't copy them or anything. So getting access to information back then was very difficult. Yeah. Uh, but if you put the time in, you could you could get the uh, the benefit back out. Mm. And as time's gone on, obviously now you know, instant access to companies' house. Yeah. Every figure under the sun, it's just just there instantaneously. Yeah. You know, back then it was graft, but if you put it in, I'd yeah. say it actually yeah. was very very beneficial. So I think those those days in in veg capital, uh, you know, were really good. Really really enjoyed it. Uh, but ultimately, underneath it, I always had those entrepreneurial twangs that were yeah. saying, "Go out there and do it for yourself." And after about six years in venture capital, I, I found myself, I, w- I was going through the motions really, I was uh, arguing the same legal points and the same documents for the f- 15th time and it, it just it just lost that spark for me and like I said, the entrepreneurial trait was definitely there from, from a younger age. So I started looking for, for an opportunity uh, to get involved in and uh, and utilise some of the skills that I'd, mm. I'd acquired over the years. Uh, and. Had a bit of a false start with a with a business down in Sheffield that uh, didn't do so, so well, yeah. uh, but then I got introduced into a company in Leeds called Morrison Son. Mm. Uh, 
Morris was was the founder, and the son was uh, Stephen Stephen Jacobs, who uh, who ran that business, uh, and it was about at the time 30, 35 years it had been going, uh, and very simple that Morris and and, and Stephen uh, they started on the markets, then they uh, uh, they just used to sell cheap surplus yeah. problem food and drink. So they'd, they'd work the markets, uh, they decided to buy a, a lock-up garage and start buying a bit of extra stock and wholesale into other market traders. Mm. Uh, and that's that's how Morrison Sun started. Uh, and over the years, uh, it's been very, very successful. Now, been going over, over 50 years. Mm. Uh, and basically, the, the premise is still the same. Buy problem stock from manufacturers, distributors, other wholesalers, yeah. a whole raft of different types of suppliers uh, and sell it at value for money prices. So uh, the only real things that have changed over the years is obviously you know, the advent of computers and communication, everything make it, make it different. Uh, but back then, they just used to uh, bring it in pilot high, yeah. vans turning up left, right and centre, going off to work the markets. Uh, Stephen had been extremely successful over the years and uh, invested money wisely, bought a lot of commercial property around the area. Uh, and I think one of the, the key things right at the beginning was it was obvious he was the business. Mm. Uh, it didn't really do much more than uh, use scraps of paper and uh, his management technique was shouting at people. Uh, that was it scraps of paper and shouting at people uh, and but you could see the, the service he was providing what he was doing was was needed and he's doing it very very well uh, and when I looked at it I knew I knew the kind of business I wanted to get involved in I'd, yeah. I'd seen some fantastic businesses over over the time in venture capital but I also saw some industries that I, I wouldn't want to get involved mm. in for uh, a variety of reasons uh, and I knew if I could find a, a fairly simple business, buy a box of crisps, sell a box of crisps, uh, and I could introduce uh, a little bit more professionalism and things like that into into the business, uh, it's exactly the kind of situation that would, would work. Yeah. Uh, managed to do a, a deal with Stephen, uh, had to put some money in, but not, not huge amounts of money, use some of the financial engineering skills I picked up to uh, gear the balance sheet up a little bit, bring some borrowings in, uh, and got involved in Morrison Sun back in 2003 now so we're coming towards 17 and a half years I think now since uh, since I bought that business uh, and it's been a, a fascinating journey yeah yeah you can imagine over that over that period so yeah so surplus food retail has been going on for how long 50 years <laughs> uh, probably longer than that yeah but I think uh, obviously markets Market value retail was markets. Yeah. You know, there was nothing, nothing else. You, know, you had your corner shops doing you know, normal retail, uh, and then you had market traders doing yeah. value retail. And it's only really over the last, probably, not more than twenty years, where the the value retail uh, landscape has changed and it's changed substantially. So yeah. markets have, have obviously been dying and, and slowing for for quite a long time now. Mm. But it has been replaced, and uh, you know, the operators that are out there that 
uh, have taken up the space are your people like uh, Home Bargains, mm-hmm. Wilco's just down the road from here, uh, B&M, Bargain Madness, yeah. uh, and you've got your, your, your farm foods and, and, and all, those, all those kind of operators came and saw the potential to really take value retail on, mm. onto the high street and more recently into the, into the retail parks. Uh, and really have taken over from the old style uh, market traders. Yeah. Mm. Uh, again, stupid fact, but uh, when I bought Morrison's Son, B&M had 18 shops. Yeah. And 18 shops was quite a substantial chain back then, uh, but they buy half a pallet of this, a pallet of that, and, and, and trade whatever, yeah. whatever goods we could, uh, could supply at value for money. Obviously now, uh, the last time I looked, I think they were, Obviously, floated on the stock exchange, Massive, worth four and a half, five billion market cap. Uh, done a, the Aurora Brothers there done an absolutely fantastic job mm-hmm. uh, building that business. But same, you know, Tommy Morrison and his brother, TJ uh, Morris. Yeah, they, they both. One was B and M was in Blackpool yeah. when we first got involved, but they've mm-hmm. they've moved down the next to John Lennon Airport in Liverpool. Uh, TJ Morris are just down the road. Uh, I'm going to say Highton, but it isn't Highton. It's somewhere That's very close to the there. first shop. My mum's from Highton in Liverpool, um, and her, the first shop was around the corner. She tells me about it. She used to go with her mum and stuff. Literally, like it's in like a place called Dovecot. It's just yeah, started as yeah. a little corner shop in Highton. Yeah, yeah. mad that, isn't it? And it probably grew out of market trade, though, didn't it? Like yeah. they, those people probably started. They were, and, and, and you know the other guys I didn't I didn't mention, but you know Powerland, mm-hmm. Steve Smith there. He was a market trader uh, and built built Powerland up from that to shops rather than uh, market stalls local lad here who's a f- f- fascinating character uh, Chris Edwards who started Pound World mm. uh, I don't read a lot of books but when I go on holiday I get chance and uh, if you get chance read read Chris's book because uh, for me it was really interesting because it's same same area that I'm from and they used to own the, the pubs and nightclubs that I used to go in yeah. in, in Halifax and, and Bradford uh, but Again, just went from a, a market stall to building Pound World at the time, a fantastic business. Uh, and there's reasons why you know, Pound World doesn't exist anymore, but he's, he's not one of them. He, yeah. he obviously sold out and uh, uh, subsequent management teams and owners uh, did a few few things that weren't, weren't brilliant. Uh, but again, his, his lads, uh, his lad Chris, Chris Jr., uh, one below, you'll, you'll come across one below, there's about oh, 70. Yeah. 70 odd stores now so they're in the process of building building again from uh, from scratch uh, so mm. everything cycles I think and uh, I, the, the days of market trading are, are numbered unfortunately and obviously the current circumstances have, have really put paid to open markets and council owned markets uh, especially at the moment mm. uh, but it has been taken over by the, the value retailers yeah. and uh, and discounters, and, yeah. uh, so Morrison Son has always uh, supplied value for money into into those kind of guys. But not just the big guys; we we supply all kinds of uh, farm shops and uh, uh, corner shops and uh, little chains and sole traders and pretty much anywhere you go in and you you, you see products and think, well, yeah, this is cheap. Mm. You know, there's a good chance that some of that stock will have come come from us uh, and as, as a company now we've probably turned over about 15 million got 40 50 staff uh, and 
we deal with some of the, the biggest biggest suppliers and uh, wholesalers in the in the world never mind in the country yeah. uh, we're, we're a value partner uh, for those guys uh, food and drink primarily uh, but we also do household goods and toilet rolls kitchen rolls and bleachers and all that kind of stuff as well so yeah. what was the revenue when you went in in 2000 I've managed to take it from 18 million down to 15 million now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, the, the thing is with uh, you know sales, the, yeah. the sales value isn't the be all and end all of, mm. of any business. Uh, and yeah. we you know we've spoken before about product mix, and you're you're only you're only as good as the products you've got to sell. Uh, and in the clearance game, the residual stock game, it does ebb and flow on a on a daily basis. Mm. So. Uh, you know, we have we have touched 18, 19 million sales, and looking back on it, we had at one point we had about two million pound a year uh, in sales in, in crisps in, in a regular line. They were coming in and going straight out, two or three customers, and uh, straight in and out. Mm. Great turnover, crap contribution per pallet, mm. crap. You know, you, you, a pallet of crisps is just fresh air. So you're shipping fresh air around, there isn't a lot of value in it, there isn't a lot of uh, margin in it. Uh, and that two million evaporated pretty much overnight when uh, the manufacturer decided to put the, the price up by one and a half p a packet. It sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it just took the price point mm. away from it being a pound line uh, to being, yeah. uh, it just it just wouldn't earn enough for the, for the end retailer and, mm. and those sales stopped overnight. So. Yes, you can have big sales and crap margin yeah. <laughs> and crap contribution and crap profit, or you can find the sweet spot. And I think at the moment we're, we're more in that sweet spot area. So yeah, yeah. You know, the, the focus isn't on sales and growth and things like that. It's on where do we make the difference? Where can we earn a little bit more? Mm. Where can we make sure it's costs aligned with what we need and things like that? So yeah. you know, I won't give you guys much uh, many tips today yeah. hopefully will in the future but well, don't, don't, don't yeah sales they say don't they sales is vanity and profits yeah. sanity uh, I'd change it slightly profit yes but cash cash is the absolute Absolutely. key thing yeah. your, your profit can vary for all different kinds of reasons and write backs and depreciation and, and everything but at the end of the day as a business you've got to have cash you've got to have cash flow you've got to be able to pay yeah. your bills and yeah. you know one tip I give anybody is look after your cash mm. the cash is absolutely everything yeah we've, we've mentioned it on the pod before about when we started and just trying to hold on to penny pinching as much as possible like not yeah. buying stupid computers and you know fancy office furniture all this and nonsense. paying people to do stuff that we could learn but to do ourselves and bootstrap and stuff like that which probably yeah. puts us in a similar position to Morrison's son when you kind of came yeah. into it so yeah going back to that I wanted to ask you kind of it might be quite a broad question, but what were the, how did you take it from being scraps of paper and a guy that shouted at people to then professionalising it? What were the sort of first things that you had to do? Yeah, uh, the, the first things was just sit back and observe. Mm. Uh, I've seen, again, too many places where people have come in, bought business, and overnight, I'm going to do this, that, that, and I'll change this, change that. The first thing you need to do is really just understand what is actually happening mm. uh, and with with Morrison again it was, it was a strange situation uh, technology wise there was just one computer in the building there was 
one email address. It was right when I got involved, right at the beginning of, of email, yeah. <laughs> stupid as it sounds. Uh, so, uh, and the computer system that was there, it, it, it gave us nothing. So it was obvious we needed to get uh, a slightly more sophisticated system. Uh, there was two or three people in the business that were real blockers. And uh, it w again, it, it took time, but the key, one of the key things was was just changing changing one or two people, changing the culture a little bit, uh, and over time removing the reliance from uh, uh, from Stephen, mm. and really just capturing some of the knowledge that every single day yeah. went in the bin. Every time he did a deal and screwed a piece of paper, put it in the bin, that that information was lost. That mm. that intelligence was was lost. Uh, I've got to say, Stephen is probably the best negotiator I have ever come across still now. Uh, the numbers he can add up in, in his head and things like that were unbelievable. Uh, but one of the things I could see that didn't quite work right was because, because he was so busy trying to do so much, so reliant, uh, some of the decisions that were taken, uh, buy something, add 10% on and sell it. You, if you can use your, your buying expertise, uh, purchasing power, whatever, you, you you shouldn't just give that benefit straight away by adding a, a, a percentage on. It's really, you know, what does the market, what where's the market pricing, what can yeah. the market stand, who am I selling to, who are their customers, who do they pay an extra couple of pence for this or a penny more for that. Really, you know, taking advantage of your, your purchasing uh, acumen and experience and expertise uh, you've got to do that and over over a period of time uh, brought in brought in a couple of people uh, who had slightly different mindsets and we, we started the process of building uh, building a very solid foundation in the business with systems tools to do the job I remember uh, he didn't like spending money <laughs> he still doesn't that's why he's got so no, much but uh, uh, some of the wagons that we had were yeah. unbelievable and uh, we had a driver called him Elvis uh, I think he used to sing in a band at the weekends or something like that <laughs> but uh, I remember one day he, uh, he was delivering to Birmingham and we got the call about half seven in the morning uh, in fact we heard it on the radio it went national news it, it managed to shut down Birmingham <laughs> the, the, the wagon had broken down on the I can't remember the name of the road, but the, the main bypass that goes through Birmingham, uh, it had broken down. The gearbox had gone, and the wagon was straddling both lanes, and basically it shut down Birmingham with with our wagon, which oh, was name plastered all over the side of it. Uh, and it was purely down to penny pinching on on the equipment. Uh, you know, run the wagons into the ground, and they spend more time in the repair uh, base. So one of the things I've always tried to do uh, with everything is get the right tools for the job mm -hmm. uh, and in, in, invest in in your people but also invest in, in your equipment yeah. uh, and your wagons are no good if they're always in the in the, in the the workshops uh, you don't have to own everything as well, it's another little thing I've, I've put forward to you guys mm -hmm. is uh, you know, there is a cost obviously to leasing or hiring or whatever but factor those numbers into into your calculations for your business you don't have to own everything you don't have to own your premises you don't have to own no. your fork trucks your wagons uh, in fact you're probably better off not doing on mm. the basis that you know our wagons now have got four or five 
22 ton wagons at 18 pallets moving all over the country all the time uh, we, we upgrade them every four years they, they're new when they start yeah. uh, there's obviously the cost involved in doing that but we're not spending money on repairs we're not spending money on breakdowns misdeliveries all that kind of thing you know so in, invest invest where you need to invest you are right you don't need fancy computers fancy chairs fancy desks you don't need that no. it's, it's not necessary so put put your, your hard-earned pound notes into things that really yeah. do matter for you for your mm. business yeah, yeah absolutely well i think we've uh, we've found out with a few small minor things that have not affected us too much that if you you buy cheap or you scrimp on certain things you end up buying twice don't you it's mm. yeah i think again there's another little saying with accountants really you know they know the cost of everything and the value of f all yeah. uh, <laughs> it's right yeah you, you yeah. can you can always look at the cost and go you know lowest cost lowest cost. it's invariably never the cheapest option because you need to look at the value for money and uh, mm. the ongoing costs. You go cheap, you end up having repairs, things breaking. So you're always yeah. concentrate on the value rather than the cost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've had it with this podcast, haven't we? The first microphones we bought, we thought we'd try out cheap ones, and they just waste money. Rubbish. Yeah. So we've, we've invested in decent ones. Yeah. It's going to be worth it, isn't it? Yeah. So it's just little things like that. Are you going to switch the microphone on? I've been been chatting for yolks and I've just noticed green buttoning on. Oh, it's over here. We've got a a bit of light on this. I'm I'm like, I'm genuinely really worried that I'm going to like press something on here and it's all just going to disappear. Oh, no. No, we're all good. Um, But but yeah, so Morrison Sons and then how did did Approved Food come out? Yeah, Approved approved is is a different business to to Morrison Sons. Morrison Sons always been uh, business to business, dealing with retail customers who then deal with the uh, mm. uh, the general public. Uh, Proof Foods, it is an interesting story. It has been has been told a few times around the place. But uh, one of one of my customers, uh, Dan Dan Cludere, uh he was a market trader. Uh, he had a really knackered old green van, really knackered. Uh, but he used to come to Leeds four times a week, fill his van up with stock, go off and work the markets in Doncaster and Skegness and all over the bloody place. Uh, but the thing with Dan, he wasn't just a, a normal market trader. He'd, he'd been uh, employed by uh, Sony Ericsson. They've yeah. got a big plant down uh, near, near Mansfield workshop area. Uh, and he had technical skills, uh, software engineering skills. So. The plant was shut down and everybody was made redundant. He, he, he was made redundant. But his father-in-law was a market trader. He just suggested, why don't you buy a van and become a market trader, which he did. Uh, but in the background, with the skills he had, he had the ability. Uh, and this this is really where the you know, the internet was, was starting to take off. Uh, what year was this? Like? So, noughties, late noughties. Just jumping back a second, because one, one of the things in, uh, in Veg Capital... I was in the uh, dot-com boom and bust era, yeah. so the 98, 99, 2000, 2001. And that area of time, uh, there were some ridiculous amounts of money invested in some ridiculous businesses. Yeah. Just yeah. An, if you had a name uh, and an idea, you know, pet dot whatever, you could raise 100 million quid. Uh, you spend 99 million quid on marketing and then go bust. And it was happening left, right and centre. but 
one of the things that really stuck with me from those days was if you had a, a proper business with a proper product that people wanted to buy or service now but a proper product mm. the you know the internet was a very very interesting place uh, like books with Amazon wasn't it so it started yeah, yeah it's it, uh, and, you know, touch on Amazon again a little bit further down the line but mm. uh, certainly I had this interest in the internet so Dan let's say he was filling his van up uh, I knew that he'd, he'd been dabbling a little bit we tried to put a website together uh, and one morning January be 2000, 2008, 2009, I think it was. Right. Um, he came in he came in the warehouse and we were just talking and picking some stock up. Uh, and he just mentioned that he'd had, uh, had a mention uh, by Martin Lewis, the money saving expert. Uh, he'd just been on Lorraine's sofa uh, yeah. on uh, ITV uh, and had mentioned uh, approved food if you want to save uh, money on your food and drink shopping have a look at approved food uh, and he'd gone from literally two orders three orders off a very fledgling website uh, selling your know, 20 or 30 different types of product off the back of his van uh, that day he's, he got 300 orders in oh, uh, which is fantastic but the only problem was he was in basically still his back bedroom he had stock filling a quarter of his garage uh, so he had no stock no systems no people no money no no anything really yeah. uh, and he was telling me the story and I was, I was listening and because of me interest in the internet I just said to him well, I'll come down uh, have a look at you I had a, a tiny unit down in workshop I said if I can if I can help in any way you know come and have a look at you and see see what we can do yeah. uh, so came down it took us probably nine months but we did we set up a proper limited company. He had a, uh, the way he'd structured and done things. He'd, he'd left one or two dangly ends that needed sorting out. Uh, but we found premises, and literally uh, just down the road from here, mm. next uh, North Anston uh, Industrial Estate, uh, we rented a tiny bit of space from uh, one of the guys down there who had a, a car repair shop in the corner <laughs> of his uh, his garage, uh, and started the process of building a proper online business. Uh, we outgrew that space within six months uh, and the unit next door became available. I think the builder's merchant had had it, but uh, 20,000 square foot, yeah. uh, literally just over the fence. So we uh, agreed a lease on that and, uh, and moved moved into that unit and started really in earnest the, the process of building a proper mm. online business. Uh, and back, back in those days, uh, Shopify didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, there the just wasn't an off-the-shelf system mm. uh, for certainly dealing with complicated orders, and uh, the kind of orders that uh, that we still get and got back then were complicated orders. So mainly food and drink, uh, a little bit of household still problem stock, short-dated stock, uh, obscure flavors and sizes, and all different reasons why why stock. Uh, becomes becomes a problem to the, the manufacturer or the distributor, so very similar stock to what we were buying in Morrison Sun, uh, but rather than selling it to shopkeepers, we we're selling it direct to the end end mm. consumer. Uh, so, say we started the process of, of building a business, but the, all the technology was developed in house, all the systems, the back end systems, picking, packing, stock replenishment, uh, how you set up product up 
you know, on, online, the, the website, everything was, was developed in-house and, and Dan, Dan was a, the, the main player on that front. Uh, what I brought was obviously uh, a little bit more of the uh, other skills required, uh, purchasing, logistics, operational, bit of cash, bit of marketing, bit of, bit of everything. So we, we had, we had a, a very good combination uh, between us. Yeah. Uh, really just started the process in earnest of building an online business uh, when there was nothing really to look at and say oh we want to be like that we want to do it like they do it there was, there was nobody out there doing what no. what we were doing so it literally was making up as we went along uh, and again in those <laughs> we've moved on now computers existed uh, which <laughs> barely created didn't but everything was desktop and dial up uh, at that time, there was no mobile devices, phones, iPads. Not they just didn't exist. They weren't they weren't invented. So, you know, the website was developed for use via a desktop. Yeah. Uh, when <coughs> excuse me, when mobile devices started coming along, it, it did cause us a lot of problems, and still does in a, in a way because just the way uh, images display, the space on the screen, all that kind of thing, you, you need. Your, your website to actually adjust to the device it's been looking at and uh, we've spent a long time just trying to keep up really with uh, technology and the, and the advances in that uh, but the one thing that always you know helped us were we we were offering convenience and value for money so we <laughs> we all kinds of things to uh, uh, get known we didn't we didn't have a massive marketing budget or anything like that so yeah. everything really was uh, self-generated and uh, just people like money saving expert and getting mentions on the forums and things like that they're all all were really good early marketing yeah. uh, and then we'd do a few daft things we'd, we'd you know would try and get publicity where we could uh, we'd get people like Jay Rayner and Simon Rimmer and these kind of guys coming and uh, walking around and telling people about what we what we did. And See the food critic, Jay Rayner? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, really it was a lot of it, because of the products uh, we sell, a lot of the stock is driven by best before dates. Yeah. Mm. And, and best before dates is, again, well, it's a subject we'll, we'll touch on yeah. in, in a little while, but uh, uh, just the misconception around best before dates and before and after and you know will it will the product kill me and all this kind of stuff uh, there was a lot of interest in we try and still do a lot of education around what best yeah. before dates actually mean yeah. uh, and pretty much every anybody who came and looked at us and toby foster and all these kind of guys uh, it, they always went through and have a look around do a bit of an interview and then Next thing, it would be in a lab with a packet of crisps yeah, uh, yeah. and a scientist right. and, and yeah. doing bloody, yeah. you know, petri dish tests on stuff and, and everything else or a taste test. Uh, and it, it is really because people don't understand what best before dates are, and there's yeah. a lot of education required around that. Yeah. Uh, but we over over the the times timetable, we uh, we did a few things uh, and something that's in common with you guys, we, mm. we got approached by the uh, producers of Dragon's Den. Oh, we, we're gonna come on to this, don't <laughs> worry. Yeah, uh, and they, they actually approached us 
over the period of about 18 months three or four times and we just kept saying no we're too busy we're not interested we're not interested mm. uh, and finally we just we just sat one day in the little meeting room and just another request had come in and just sat down we know what's what's the worst that can happen let's fill that form in they've sent and see what happens uh, and literally within you know, three or four days we were over in manchester uh doing uh i don't know what they call it pre pre-production yeah. Trials or something yeah. like an audition, but it, it was just yeah, just uh, really to see if you know you've got a face that fits on TV and things like that. So we failed that bit, but uh, <laughs> they liked the story, uh, and literally within another three weeks, we were lined up to uh, uh, to a go to the filming for the for the yeah. program. So, mm. God. yeah, at least you got aired. Yeah. Unlike <laughs> us, yeah. and we went all through all of it. It took weeks on end. I don't. Sounds like ours took longer than yours to get everything sorted out, like all the legal stuff and due deal and stuff. Oh, and, uh, yeah, the, it, the build-up was it was quick, but we still had you know contracts and all kinds of things to fill yeah. in and sign up to and everything else. Uh, but whether they were just running short of, of people to appear and things like that, I don't know. But uh, I'd I'd watched Dragons then probably the first two or three series as, yeah. and uh, hadn't bothered for probably three or four years. Uh, so I think we were about series seven or series eight we, we appeared on. Uh, but the whole experience, I've got to say, we'll, we'll go into it, we'll talk, we'll talk yeah, about whether it. overlaps go and things it, like that, but uh, uh, the whole experience for me was excruciating mm -hmm. and I'll explain why, but the publicity that came off the back of it yeah. was business changing, mm. uh, it really was. So uh, I think we'd made, we made some quite big mistakes. We, we, approached it as though it was a serious investment opportunity uh, and really it was only after that we realized that no it's just an entertainment program yeah. and the you know the, the actual investment side is is secondary what, what they're looking to do is win BAFTAs and, and uh, get entertainment and by golly we gave them some of that <laughs> <laughs> it's I think you know the actual program uh, disappeared. It was it was on YouTube and then it disappeared and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm being able to watch it for you know, this was seven years ago now, five or six years. Didn't wasn't anywhere. I got a recording of it but wouldn't watch it because it was that bad. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just I shouldn't really say this, but it's actually reappeared on YouTube. The, the producers have, have launched it about yeah. four or five months ago, so it, it's it's now available to watch again. Uh, but I don't recommend anybody looks for it or watches it I remember watching because it yeah. for, for me personally it was an horrendous experience I'll, I'll, I'll explain a bit more why because the whole the whole build up they get you they get you going across the uh, uh, the night before mm. uh, so you, you drop any props off and things like that at the studios uh, they put us up in a in a hotel probably one of the worst hotels in Manchester um, the noise the heat the, it was just awful so <laughs> Didn't get any sleep whatsoever. I think they put us in the same one. Oh, it, it, <laughs> they, it's all part of the scheming, if you yeah. like, to, mm. to make make television. And mm. uh, so you end up no sleep. That's not a great start. You, you're there at six o'clock in the morning at the studios uh, for pre-filming and things like that. So you're up early. You're in there. Obviously, one of the things they do very well is not tell you anything 
absolutely yeah. nothing and you you guys yeah. have, have known this so, so you go in and there's various other people around and they they walk around and you know how do you want your you know, your product set up and what you roughly gonna say and things like that uh, so you have that that part early in the morning they do they do the pre-filming of the uh, lift at the time it, there was a lift uh, but there wasn't a lift. Yeah, it's not a real all, lift. All it was yeah. was two doors that opened, so you walked in and walked out the other side, but yeah. they pretended it was a lift. And if so, it was a lift, it took a long time to go from one floor it, it, to another. It, it was just oh, two doors. It? We were in there for five minutes, I don't know about you. Suspense, I think, it, I think that's part of it, like you say, they ramp it up for yeah. you. So you, you do that, you film that, so about half past seven, that that finished. And again, they, they're not telling you anything about the day, they don't tell you... Uh, what time you're going to be on all that kind of stuff so they put you in the green room uh, that pissed me off as well because it were blue it wasn't <laughs> even a bloody green room it were, it were painted blue and it oh, was horrible, horrible horrible shade it had no windows either no windows it's blacked out isn't it? it's blacked out uh, and literally you just sat there waiting and the and most uncomfortable yourself. sofas I've ever sat Crap. in my life as well chairs it, it was just yeah. awful <laughs> but the, the worst thing about it was obviously you, you think at any moment in time you, you've got to say right. You're in now. Go and uh, you know go and perform if you like. They don't give you any warning whatsoever. They don't tell you what order you're going in. Uh, come in, you know, after about an hour and a half. Say, oh, there's there's some lighting problems, so it's going to be a little bit longer yet. And uh, you don't get to see or talk or meet any of the dragons before or after. You you, you literally don't don't get any contact whatsoever. So you're sat in this room, your adrenaline's pumping, you, you try to remember your words and you know the, the introduction thing, uh, 30 seconds or whatever you're going to come out with. Uh, and literally eight hours we were sat in that horrible room and my, I ran out of adrenaline after about four hours. Yeah, you get knackered, it was just, don't you? Absolutely knackered. Yeah. Sweating, clothes all creased. Yeah, it's sat just, down all day. It's just draining. We were sat in there. I mean, we got there at six o'clock like you did. I didn't think we went on until half past five at night. So we were there we, for 11 hours. We, we, as it turned out, we were, we were very close to that. So yeah. what they do, they come in uh, and they say, right, X, you're on now. Yeah. Um, they'd walk out of the door and you'd never see him again. Yeah. So there were no coming yeah. back in. How did you go on? How do you feel? They, they leave the room, you never see him again. So you've no idea what's happening. Yeah. There's a long gap of time and then right, right, it's your turn now and text somebody else. And you're just waiting and waiting yeah. and waiting. And we were saying, it was probably about half past four. And they said, right, you're on, two minutes. And it's literally no warning whatsoever. Got to get down there quick. And so they... they they try to rush yeah. you. They try, and you haven't got time to have a pee and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Again, it's all part of the process of building up anxiety. Anxiety, yeah. anxiety, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, taking the room, we, we had a, we had a bit of a, a few boxes and a few products just to uh, set out. Uh, so we went in in the studio and we, we set the set the products out. Uh, they put screens in in front of them and uh, uh, the dragons out there while you're doing that. So you, you set everything up and there were. Uh, three screens in front of the uh, little uh, yeah. table of products that we'd, we'd set up. So we decided, right, I'll, I'll get the first, when you walk in, I'll get the first screen, Dan, you'll get the second, I'll get the third, then who go that. So we got it all planned out, uh, left the room, uh, stood waiting for the for the call to go in and walk through the lift again. Uh, the doors open, and you're walking, you know, all the lights are blaring, red hot, absolutely red hot. Yeah. Uh, the dragons are sat there, there's all film crew everywhere. 
and the first thing we noticed was they put an extra screen in front of the uh, products so instead of there being three screens there were four yeah. which don't sound right bad but we had to walk 15 yards to go and fetch them and we had to move them out of the way and everything and because we'd worked out if you if I did the first one you the second and you get back first you'll get in position and it just threw everything right yeah. tiny little thing like that that it just set us right on the wrong foot mm. what time of year did you do it by the way oh, uh, that's a good question we we actually got broadcast the following August mm. but I think it was about about October time, I think it right. was. Yeah, it was a good nine months before it actually got broadcast. Yeah. I was going to say, because we did it in June, it was like a red hot day. Oh, Added it, to the red hot you know, lights yeah, and everything else. Yeah. Being I, I don't think the outside temperature were a problem, but yeah. the, the lights and the, yeah. you know, the, the, the dragons had fans blowing on them and things like that to yeah. keep them cool. Yeah. There were no fans facing our direction, no. so I'm, I'm a big lad. You know, those that have seen, I'm a, I'm, well, I'm a fat bastard, to be quite honest, but <laughs> I do sweat a lot for a, for a big lad. Uh, yeah. So I, I was sweating within twenty, you know, twenty seconds of walking in, mm. and just I was drained, and I, I, I couldn't remember my second sentence. Yeah. I just got an absolute brain freeze, which was unbelievable. Uh, oh, but yeah. you know, they don't just say, "Oh, we'll stop a minute." We'll, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll shoot that again. People no, think that. Everyone says to us, "They go, does it stop?" You, non, it never stops, that. Does it? No, it's straight through and. Mm. Luckily, they're exactly the kind of moments that they want to broadcast because we're yeah. going back to the entertainment yeah. side of things. So, me stuttering, stammering, can't remember my lines, all that kind of stuff, sweat pouring out, absolutely brilliant for them. Yeah. Just what they wanted. Yeah. So, but for the first you know thirty seconds minute, it was a horrible start. Yeah. So we did a spiel and everything, and and then the questions start, and ultimately we we got about eleven minutes on screen, but the the whole filming, we were in for about an hour and three quarters yeah. and we were just getting bombarded questions left, right and centre uh, from obviously the, the dragons and random questions and uh, I remember Duncan Bannertine, he, uh, his favourite one is he asks you about your numbers, uh, gets you to stumble over something you can't remember, you don't know this number and then he just throws his hands up in the air and says, well you don't know your numbers, I'm out. Yeah. That's, that's his tagline uh, we, we pissed him off because we did know his numbers and we answered every question and he got more and more frustrated that he couldn't <laughs> couldn't crack you couldn't crack us on yeah. that front that, yeah. that, that, that was an interesting one uh, then we had who else we had, we had uh, uh, Kelly Hoppen uh, oh yeah she wasn't interested in the slightest we were not posh enough for her yeah. And uh, so we were in seconds. She she clammed up and you know what next one to come in so she didn't contribute at all Uh Piers Liner, uh, mm. I remember he, he came out with a beauty. He, we were talking about his numbers and debt and what we owed, and we actually owed the money we owed. I owed to myself because I, I borrowed some from Morrison Son to mm. you know to help uh, oil the wheels and, and approved. And uh, uh, he came out with the with a classic on. Oh, no, you, your borrowings are too high. Uh, and then nine months later, he he actually his business went bust because his borrowings were too high. <laughs> so he went yeah. bust. Uh, there you go. So that were a good one. Uh, and Deborah Mead and she came out with the the, the classic. Uh, she said, I'm, "I take risks, but you're braver than me." And I thought, "Yeah, we probably are, love." Yeah. And yeah. that one stuck with me for forever more because, yes, we you know we have taken calculated risks over the years. Uh, I think she inherited her business. Uh, caravan site again in in the early oh, days, yeah. So, 
there's a lot of difference between inheriting something and, and actually building something mm. from small beginnings. Yeah. So yeah, she came out with Classic Line. Uh, and then Peter Jones, who was the only dragon really we were interested in, he, he came out with some really, really encouraging words. You know, yeah. He liked the business, he liked what we were doing. Uh, yeah, Dan, Dan did a bit of his uh, market trading. Um, spiel touch thing. Yeah, yeah, spiel from uh, selling the products and everything. And he, he said, you know, I, I like the business, but I think you're just too early for me. And, uh, you know, I'd be interested further down the track. So we didn't get any offers, but what we did get was 11 minutes of prime time television, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was fantastic at the time because uh, off the back of national television, I know we used to go and have various meetings around down south and things like that, and you know we'd have taxi drivers saying, oh, "I've seen you on telly and stuff." It, <laughs> yeah. it, it's amazing just those bits of publicity how much they do actually yeah. stick with people, and uh, again. And I would recommend if you get the opportunity to, to get free publicity, don't mm. pay a lot for it, but if you get free publicity, mm. take it. Mm. Uh, there is such thing as bad publicity, but yeah. most of it is is good. And uh, off the back of that, we, we've got headlines all over the place about you know what the dragon's done, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, you should have invested and all this kind of thing. But because there was such a gap between the filming and, and, and actually broadcasting the program uh, all the things we talked about that we were going to do we we're going to move premises and do this that, and the other we'd already done them before the, the program mm -hmm. was broadcast yeah. so we you know we had we had the benefit of uh, of, of that publicity and, and upshotting orders and things like that but even then and again you guys will experience it when you, you get bits of publicity the, mm -hmm. the especially TV that the shock on your website of thousands of people landing you know within a 15 20 30 second period mm. every time we've gone on television and got any publicity we, we've always had the website knocked out just because there's always some element of the whole infrastructure or whatever that can't handle yeah. the traffic and it's it's usually some silly little thing a bit of caching or something like that but yeah there's nothing more uh, disappointing than getting that publicity, watching your website and seeing it crash. Yeah, not and thinking all like, those people have not taken think we're a bag of shite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think yeah, I think we had a very similar experience to you in terms of the whole Dragons Den experience, except not getting aired. But totally agree on the entertainment thing. Just going back on that because I think we learned the same as you did from it, which is we we almost approached it too seriously. Yeah. Really, it went too well. It went. Us, it? it was too probably too boring to you know not entertaining enough for them to broadcast because we kind of did our pitch went fine answered questions fine but just it i don't think it had them like that spark them like key kind of viral yeah. moments if you like that they can then take advantage of yeah absolutely. so I, going back to the dragons i was absolutely delighted that they didn't make us an mm. investment offer because mm. again some of the some people I know who've had dragons involved and had investment from dragons have had all kinds of issues trying to get out of that further down the track. Mm. Uh, and you don't actually get, now you don't get the benefit of having a dragon on board because they've got that many bits and pieces of mm. investments here and everywhere. They don't actually get involved in your business and spend time and, and bring you the benefits that you, mm. you hope that you might get going into it. Mm. So. Yeah, I can imagine. I bet they, I bet they just 
maybe assign you a person that works for them, maybe or something like that, don't yeah. you? Oh, that would have been and the you know Peter Jones and God knows how many investments he's made now, but he's he's got a whole infrastructure yeah. behind him, yeah. sorting out his investments, looking after his investments. Uh, you might get a cardboard cut out of him that you can put in your reception, but that's probably the closest you'll ever get to it. Yeah, a 10 minute monthly Zoom call or something. Mm, not even that. No. <laughs> 10 minute yearly. Yearly Zoom call if you're looking. Yeah. Yeah. So, approved food, Dragon's Den, would you say that really spurred you on then for growth into where uh, you are now? It was one of the steps on, on the journey. We had, we had another, you know, the following year we got involved in. Uh, the Virgin Media uh, pitch oh, to Rich yeah. competition uh, to Richard Branson. That mm. was again fascinating to to get involved in, uh, and we were very lucky because because we had a customer base and uh, we had the ability to, you know, ask as customers to vote for us in the in the early stages to get on the shortlist and things like that. Uh, we actually did very well and eventually got into the uh, the final down in London. Uh, luckily. It just needed one person to pitch, and, and Dan got the long straw, and he got he got the ability to pitch. I sat in the audience, but pitching to Richard Branson and uh, Joe Malone and David Gandhi and a couple of other other people, uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, we didn't actually win that competition. We we lost to a, a bloody uh, parking company, Just Park. Uh, and again, when we look back on that, you know, we we're saving a few quid on your, your grocery shopping. And this panel of multi-millionaires, including Richard Branson, weren't that keen on us. But when it came to somewhere where they could find a parking space in centre of London, they jumped on it yeah. because it were relevant to them. So again, yeah. relevance, you know, we weren't quite in the right place. But again, the publicity that came off the back of that, uh, we became ambassadors for that competition for the next couple of years as well. Uh, so again, it got us got his face out there, got, got people talking about us, got uh, photographs and things and just publicity mm. online and, and everywhere else. So I think, yeah, just, it was just another part of, part of the journey. But we took, you talk about growth and you know, probably one of the biggest, uh, as it turns out, mistakes we made was we, we moved into premises that were far too big for us. They were cheap, yeah. but they were far too big and they weren't ideal. Uh, they were a bit rough and you know, they were cold and a bit dark and they weren't very high and all kinds of things going against it. But we were looking at, you know, where could approved food go as, a, as an online business? Yeah. And, and growth was, you know, top of that list, turnover growth, yeah. growth in orders, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we invested for that scenario and that growth trend to go, uh, you know, substantial. And it didn't quite go where we wanted it to, so its cost base was too high. Uh, so it meant we were, we were busy and got busier, but we, as we got busier, we lost more money. And, and it, one of the things that you know really uh, makes you think is where do you want to be as a as a business? And growth and size and everything isn't the be all and end all. It's getting getting all the elements into the right place. So we. We took a, a step backwards uh, as a business. Uh, we weren't just thrusting for growth and spending more money on mm. uh, adwords and all the all the places you can spend. I know 
I looked at your website a couple of nights ago and suddenly now on Instagram and Facebook I'm getting chased around every time I switch the bloody thing Sorry on your adverts there which is, which is better than some of the adverts I get appearing on, on my streams when yeah. I looked at things uh, but yeah you, you can spend money hand over fist yeah. you know, chasing customers uh, and chasing orders but it's not always the best thing and mm. uh, one of the things we did as a business about four years ago now was actually what are we trying to do what should we be doing mm. and one of the things was let's get us cost base uh, right let's make sure that we're, we're doing the, the right things within the business and we were doing silly deals we were, you know the more product we sold the more money we lost and it's not where you need to be as a business you've really got to mm. look at how do we stay in business how do we generate the cash uh, and be able to pay his bills as they become due. So we, we took the uh, decision to look at market pricing a bit more and still give value for money, but not stupid value for money. So there was a little bit more kept in the pot rather than uh, you know, giving all the value away every time. Mm. Uh, and that, that stood us in really good stead now because we've, uh, we've got to the point where we, we do actually turn a profit on a, on a monthly basis, we generate cash, it gives us the ability to invest in, in areas we want to invest in. Yeah. Uh, so growth per se is not something I would say is absolutely essential. Mm. And you know, we've talked uh, a little bit before about, you know, as you're starting to grow and take people on and take staff on for the first time, uh, when you grow your employment side, the number of employees and, and the crap that goes with employing people, I've got yeah, to say, yeah, yeah. the regulations, uh, you know, it brings its own issues uh, along does growth. Uh, and doing it in a, in a controlled manner, uh, taking into account all the different factors and not just, we need to be busier, we need to be busier, because yeah. there's nothing worse than being a busy fool. And we've, we've been busy fools, uh, you know, I have through some of my working career. Uh, and it's not really yeah. what you should set out to do. It's really what do you want to do and how do you achieve it? Uh, and it's not all about we've got to grow, we've got to grow. Yeah. And we talked earlier about sales and you know shrinking the business. Shrinking the business uh, or a business sometimes is actually yeah, the good. best step to take. Mm. Uh, and one one of the things you know if lead on to where we are now. So I had. Morrison Sun up in Leeds. I had uh, Proof Food down in Sheffield, so we were 40 miles apart. There was a bit of trade in between uh, Morrison Sun and Approved, uh, but they were very much separate businesses. Uh, Dan was was a, obviously a shareholder, as founder in Approved, yeah. uh, but I'd, I did a deal with Dan a couple of years ago and, and, and bought bought Dan out. Uh, I had some sleeping shareholders in Morrison Sun. I bought those out as well. So got to the point where. Uh, me and my missus uh, own 100% of both businesses, but they're 40 miles apart. The cost base is probably too high across the piece. So uh, going back probably two and a half years ago, some of the leases were coming to an end up in, in Leeds, the long leases uh, that I'd inherited. And it was a case of, right, how do we get fit for the future? Uh, and one of the, the best decisions I ever made was looking at putting the businesses together under one roof. It's a big group as well, it's massive. It's, it's a nice unit, it's obviously it's in Barnsley, so it's halfway between Leeds and Sheffield, <laughs> uh, which 
in itself meant disruption for, for both businesses. It, it actually triggered a, a full redundancy situation in both businesses. So, you know, between the two, probably 80, 90 people, uh, including myself, mm. were in a, a redundancy situation. Mm. Uh, so anybody who wanted to leave could leave and get a payout for uh, for that because of the, the distance that we were moving the business. Uh, but what we could see was getting getting the right setup for the future was very important and the cost base well, we were paying well we had five different leases uh, so you've got you know all these different buildings you've got rates on all these different buildings you've got pest control you've got all the kind of little things that you don't think about all add up yeah. uh, so finding the right kind of premises uh, the one we've moved in it's ten and a half metre high we can we can go six seven eight pallets into the air Makes makes a huge difference in storage costs. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Just bring, brings yeah. efficiency. Efficient, level, efficiencies of, of of operation, uh, shared services, all these kind of things. You know, you've got one CCTV set up rather than five. You know, one alarm rather than five. You know, all all these kind of things. So we, you know, we put a lot of work into actually getting fit for the future. So bring them together under one roof moved Morrison Sun uh, a year last October uh, we moved approved four weeks later in the November so one of the good things while we were we were in and operating uh, early last year and obviously Covid turned up in uh, uh, March basically and one of the things I'm really thankful of and timing plays such a big part yeah. in business the fact that we'd We'd undertaken the move, we were in, we'd done the fit out and everything that that entailed. We'd done all the dilapidations on the old buildings, we'd handed them all back to the landlords. We were actually in the right frame to be able to uh, uh, move forward. If we'd have still been in the move when it all uh, struck home in, in March, we'd have been absolutely snookered. Yeah. You couldn't get builders, you couldn't get anybody to come out and do anything. So mm. timing on that front was, uh, you know, I look back on it and touch wood now, we've just got the timing right. Yeah. You know, the efficiencies that have come off the back of it and everything have been phenomenal, cost savings. Uh, so really got a, a good foundation for, for going yeah. forward. Uh, and we talk about COVID and the effects of COVID. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, it's like we're planning, planning in your business. You, you, you never know what's coming over the horizon. But, Covid, nobody, nobody could imagine anything like this ever, ever happening. Yeah, in my, in my lifetime, never, never dreamed no. of anything like this coming along. Uh, and for us, like a lot of businesses, it's, it's it's been very strange because of what we do. Uh, and I don't like saying this, but we we, we have actually benefited over the last twelve mm. months because we uh, we're dealing problem stock, and there's been a lot of problem stock created by business has been closed yeah. uh, and you know things like airlines airlines airplanes aren't flying so the suppliers you know for the trolleys and the meals and the snacks and the duty-free shops they just they're not happening so there's the stock now that we've been buying that's been gotten going short there and not getting mm. used even today I've had, I've had 10 pallets of uh, milk you know the little plastic sachets yeah. of milk yeah. 10 pallets of them turning up uh, from one of the major airlines they usually hand them out on the planes for putting in your tea and coffee obviously they're long life 
but yeah. when they bought these 18 months ago God. they had no idea that they, mm. they were going to get to the point where they've, they've three or four weeks life left on them uh, but it's not just airlines the, the whole entertainment hospitality area so we've cleared more stock from exhibition centres stadiums uh, arenas venues mm. tourist attractions zoos you, the list just goes on and on and on mm. uh, Food service as well, food service wholesalers have been absolutely crucified. Uh, no cafes, no restaurants, no, no customers. The, the, the products you know, have, have, have got no customer. So businesses like ours that, that buy problem stock you know, have been inundated with yeah, yeah. the potential to buy. Uh, and obviously that's what we're in business to do, so we've, we have been buying. Uh, and the fact that Approved is one hundred percent online, sending parcels to your to your doorstep. You know the the middle weekend in March just went stupid as far yeah. as orders doubled and tripled. It was that middle weekend if you remember the uh, uh, pictures on the television, uh, empty shelves, no mm. pasta, no toilet rolls, mm. and literally in space of twenty four hours, things just went mental. Uh, and then for the for the next month and a half we, we didn't send a single email out we didn't make a single post on any media we didn't try and get a single order because we were just that busy with people ordering products yeah. to get delivered to the to the doors uh, and it's continued on uh, mm. so we've you know we have increased substantially from where we were pre-covid so it is very bittersweet though because I see so many it's people, yeah, so many businesses that are yeah. absolutely crucified and wrecked uh, and I feel a bit guilty because yeah. you know we we are doing well as a business but it's only because of the kind of things that we do and it's not as if we just started up overnight to do this and taking advantage of the situation. We have set up to deal with problem stuff. 50 years yeah. you know we have been selling on the internet for a good dozen years so yeah. you know we, we do the things that at this moment in, in time are are required so yeah but it does it does it makes me feel a little bit guilty to be honest as, a, as yeah. an individual and one of the things that we've you know we've increased and done a hell of a lot more of is uh, is, is the charity side of what we do and the, the, the yeah. amount of products that we've uh, donated to uh, food banks and street kitchens and even even things like animal sanctuaries and, and everything under the sun it just to me you know we've got to give something back at this moment yeah. in time because there's so many people are, are suffering and to be honest I can't see an end no. at this moment in time I think you know we, we talk about oh, when it gets back to normal I don't think we're going to see normal as we used to think normal was I think this is the new normal uh, and there's chinks alike with uh, vaccines yeah you know, luckily with the age I'm at I'm quite high up that list so I'm hoping for the phone call in the in the next month or so but just the number of people that have got to get vaccinated for it to start making an effect we're looking towards the back end of this year before we get anywhere near the kind of uptake that's going to make a difference yeah uh, yeah and it's not going to eradicate it i think you know we've had flu for donkey's years this is worse than flu it's horrible 
but it's going to be around probably for the rest of my lifetime. Mm. I, I can't. It's not going to get eradicated. Um, we have, we have a new normal. Unfortunately, yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? It's, uh, we've given up. Just you know, we we might get onto football a bit, or big football fans in here. We've been saying when we're going to be able to get to the match again. I've just let go of that. I mean, uh, it's not the most important thing, obviously, but you just miss. You just want to. Well, it's when you've lived all your life one way, all yeah. these things you get used to that you take for granted and just get you know just do it. When it's taken away from you, it, you yeah. know it impacts you mentally. I've, as as a person, I'm I'm quite lucky. Uh, mentally, I've I've always been yeah. very strong, uh, and and I know, you know, a lot of people suffer very, mm. very much with mental health and mm. uh, the mental welfare. Uh, and again, I've I'm, I'm so lucky that that's a side that that's never never come to the surface with me as an individual. Mm. But one of the things I have done over the last few months, especially, is is reassess. Know, what is it all about and mm. to me we talk about football uh, I've been a massive Huddersfield Town fan for donkey's years uh, but football without actually being there is meaningless yeah, and, I agree. but it's the thing I've, I've come to the conclusion it's not actually the football the bit that football's about is the uh, going getting together with your mates mm. jumping on a train you know going to Burnley on the train having a few cans beers before beers after curry at night laughing a joke that is you know the 90 minutes in the middle is often the most painful bit depends uh, <laughs> who you support well I support Huddersfield and it, it's been pain, it's been great but it's also very painful at the moment but I have absolutely no interest in football yeah. now mm. because it's not about the football it's about everything around it and that is the bit that really is missing and one of the things I'm going a bit deep now but uh, you know it, to me life is about experiences and memories mm. and we're not getting any experiences and we're not getting any memories at the moment mm. and it has it's had a massive effect I when we do get to the point where we can do things again I will be concentrating on mm. getting out and about spending time having a laugh yeah and things like that because that's what to me what life is now about and uh, when it's taken away from you as it is at the moment it makes you realise what is important and uh, I probably haven't got masses left <laughs> being the age I am and I've been very lucky over the years some of the places I've managed to go to and some of the sites I've seen and things like that but there's so much more that I haven't done yet and you know my priorities have changed as a businessman at this moment in time I'll, I'll do what I have to do and make as you know as, as many donations and, and help as much as I can out there. But I I'm not going to be doing this for much longer. Mm. My priorities are to pass this business on to somebody else mm. when it's in the right form and concentrate on getting a few more memories and experiences before it's too late. Yeah. And mm. we talk you know football or having a beer. I've I haven't had a drink for five and a half months because I looked at alcohol and I, I love a pint, you know, I absolutely love a pint. And uh, if I go out, I'm the last one to go home four or five o'clock in the morning, I, I go out, out. But <laughs> without being able to do it with your mates and having that laugh and joke, it's pointless. pointless. Alcohol's yeah. pointless at the moment as well. So, yeah. you know, it just makes you re rethink about 
bad thing. But can can you imagine like the mental health of people whose business hospitality businesses? Like me, me and James have been talking about we've been getting dead stressed out recently, and we've done really well, obviously, and we have sleepless nights in a business that's doing well. So sometimes we think, you know, let's just sit all on for a minute instead yeah. of getting stressed out and thinking. Imagine what you'd be feeling like if your business has been shut down for eight months. Yeah, See, terrific. The the frightening bit or the horrible bit. The worst is still to come. Yeah, because you know there are the government schemes that they put out there, the furlough and things like that. You know, has helped, but as those schemes start unwinding, and it's no longer available, and places aren't propped up, the fact that you know every business needs cash flow, it needs footfall, it needs people coming through and spending, and those levels aren't going to go back overnight so even if you can open your doors again the chances are that you'll be burning cash yeah. and the, the number of businesses that are going to go bust the number of people who are going to be unemployed is going to be to me is going to be frightening yeah. it, hasn't, it hasn't really started yet because of the, the schemes that are in place but as they unwind yeah, yeah it, it doesn't bear thinking about to be quite honest no no Makes you th- it can't really be allowed to happen, can it? Really? I mean, it will, it will happen because you know government can't keep bailing everything out forever. But it ju- you just think, how can you? End, you know, you can't just put millions of people out, you know, without any income, can you? Put no, out work. And one of the things that's upsetting me, annoying me a little bit at the moment, uh, is the treatment of the hospitality industry uh, and the wholesalers and the food service wholesalers who supply hospitality but also supply hospitals and care homes and schools and everything else the number I know quite a few obviously business owners and specialise in food service they're absolutely crippled at the moment because mm-hmm. the, the fixed costs don't go away they've got freezers they've got stocking they've got to keep running they've still got to pay the electric bills yeah. they've still got to uh, you know they've still got a huge cost going the, the, the customers that are open they don't generate enough to, you know, to cover losses and things like that. It's, but the bit that really, really annoys me is I don't think the government is, one, it doesn't understand, doesn't understand how the industry works, uh, and there's the, you know, the, the forgotten uh, three million self-employed as well. They, they just, they're just not focusing on areas that they should be focusing on mm-hmm. to prepare for the future and you know you see the contracts that are handed out to friends and family and things like that it just yeah. it just stinks and yeah. there's got to be a major overhaul of how government actually works mm-hmm. and, and where the investment goes in you know the, the supermarkets got rate relief straight off yeah off, off the you know off the shovel first day first week absolutely totally unnecessary you know they were they were absolutely booming and still are, but businesses that absolutely need it, you know, getting not getting anything. next to nothing or nothing at all, and they, they just don't really understand how how the world works, and it's really, you know, really really annoying and disappointing is that. Yeah, well they're all sort sort of kind of part of the same big business network, aren't they? Really, yeah. you know, um, politicians and big businesses kind of a revolving door, really, isn't it? In, in many ways, so. Mm. One, one thing, one thing I would say though, and uh, I, I know one one of the local MPs uh, in in Huddersfield, uh, 
I do know him, I know him from football. And I, I engage with him, I, I send him some information. And uh, Jason, Jason McCartney, uh, extremely good constituency MP. And I sent him some information about the food service industry and uh, how it was suffering massively. Uh, and he did. On the Monday, I sent him the detail all week, and on Monday he asked a question in Parliament uh, of the Chancellor. Mm. And, and to hear my my question mm. being read out in Parliament, I just it blew me away. But what blew me away even more was the absolutely ridiculous answer that the Chancellor gave. Mm. It just showed that how so far out of touch he was with how things actually work. Yeah. And, and that was so disappointing. But the thing that was encouraging was you can actually get a voice, you can actually engage with people yeah. uh, who who can make a difference mm. so you know never give up never give up hope mm. always yeah. keep trying don't be frightened to talk to anybody or contact anybody but uh, at this moment in time yeah I think we're in we're in a horrible phase mm. and uh, things will get better other opportunities will will arise but there's a lot of pain to come before we get mm. to that point mm. yeah. what's your um, this might be a bit of a tricky one of the last questions is what, what's your number one piece of advice someone listens to this that wants to start a business it, and you know what's going on now as well on top of that what would your what would your number one piece of advice be or these piece of learning that you've had that you want to pass on uh, I don't think you actually have to start a business I know you put you've yeah, yeah. put the question that way uh, buying a business a ready-made business something mm -hmm. that's already going to me I'm I'm probably not an innovator a, a startup guy I'd, I'd struggle to go from an idea and a, and a phone and a desk to go anywhere because uh, I'm not that kind of person but taking on a situation and developing it and everything else is, is where my my skill set lies but uh, certainly we touched on it before cash yeah. cash is absolutely critical and uh, watching the cash having enough cash to you know, be able to function is mm -hmm. absolutely number one because the only reason businesses go out of business is because they haven't got cash and everything else is just secondary you know profits you could lose hundreds of millions of pounds but if you've got cash you can still keep operating I saw this week Ocado's results came out a fantastic business Ocado is uh, and they, they were delighted they got their losses down to 44 million quid mm -hmm. and I'm thinking that's there's something not quite right there yeah. you know that a business of, of that nature is losing so much money uh, but it doesn't matter because they've got the cash behind them and they'll, they'll just keep going and yeah. you know the numbers will change around or not but it doesn't matter so cash and the second one we've touched on as well is people getting involved with the right people the right employees the right staff culture uh, like the that. right partners the right advisors Pe people are everything and uh, getting good good people yeah. is, is absolutely everything yeah. uh, all the other elements of a business your products your location your, they're, they're all byproducts really mm -hmm. but cash cash and people yeah. are the, the two key things what I would say is there's some fabulous opportunities out there these days. Um, you know, we've touched on the days when you know computers didn't exist when I, when I started out. 
the digital world. There's so many roles uh, and types of businesses and uh, occupations you can take up to earn a living now that never existed, even even ten years ago. You know, the, there's so many things you can do to earn a living, and yeah. you know the days of either going into a factory or working in a shop or, or something like that or in an office you don't need to do that these days there's so yeah. many things with a bit of imagination and a bit of skill and hard graft yeah. uh, opportunities are, mm. are pretty much limit, limitless uh, online we're both online operators it's not going away online is here to stay yeah. uh, there'll be things come along to try and make it harder <laughs> like the, you know, the taxing yeah, elements that are being talked common, about at the moment yeah. um, to me it's the wrong way of, of going about it you shouldn't be penalising online businesses especially businesses like ours yeah. what you should be doing is making sure that the big guys actually pay their fair share which they don't because yeah. they've got good advisors and, and everything else you know, it really pisses me off you know, I pay more bloody tax and pay at places like Starbucks and places like that yeah. it's just wrong you know, yeah. people need to pay the fair share also there's businesses on the high street high street in air quotes that are getting hammered now who have actually innovated for like let's go online then move, change our entire business model and now if this comes in they're going to get punished yeah it, it's it will come in because you know the, the government needs revenue to be able to operate um, so there will be changes that come in it will affect us I've no doubt about that um, but going back to the, the opportunity there's so many different types of role that can be mm. can be done now with the, from the flexible working working from home working from a beach working from wherever you know backseat of your car there's so many things that opportunities that are available now that were weren't available even a few months ago a few years ago yeah. so I think if you get the opportunity and you've got that bit of drive, want to work hard, yeah, there's yeah. there's lots of opportunity out there. Yeah. yeah, that might be the one thing that might be a, a ray of hope, kind of for pe for people that lose jobs or something like that. You know, there's so many more opportunities out there now, yeah. and it might you know give a few people a new like a new lease of life, if you like. Yeah, yeah I think periods like we're just in at the moment. One thing they always bring up is new opportunities. You know, as, as one area, the economy of, of industry or whatever declines, there's always something come along that'll, that'll replace it. So, yeah. uh, times are tough. Don't lose heart. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. Just keep your eyes and ears open. And anybody who who's got that little bit of spark, yeah, works hard. Yeah, there's, there's opportunity there, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, thanks very much. Yeah. That's amazing. Can we just talk just for two for minutes it, yeah. about best before dates? Yes. Because I think this is an important thing that we've been talking <laughs> about a bit recently. But um, We mentioned it on the pod last week, didn't we? We did mention it last week. We might because, be um, Yeah, I think it's... What, what, how do you think awareness has changed about that over the years that you've been involved with Approved especially? Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, best, best before dates, it, it is a very interesting area and... Again, I can remember the days when best before dates didn't exist. Uh, even, even fridge, I can remember grandma and granddad's, they didn't have a fridge. Mm. They had a, a stone step you know, above the cellar, uh, the, the dairy, the, the cheese, the butter, whatever, beyond that stone step. No fridge, no best before dates. And 
just common sense. The smell test, the, the sniff, you know, sniff, quick taste. If it, if it doesn't smell right, taste a little bit wonky, then don't eat it. Mm. But best before dates, I, I can see why uh, they were introduced. Mm. Uh, but there was, there's so much confusion around the terminology. You've got best before, display until, sell by, use by, out of date, in date. It's confusing, and I think education and, and schools schools should be picking picking up and, and actually educating the kids of what a best before day is, and it, all it is is an indication of optimal quality. And for things like tins, tins of soup, the, the maximum we put on a tin of soup, tin of beans, tin of whatever, three years, mm. tins will last ten. 12, 15 years, if, if the, if the integ integrity of the uh, outer packaging isn't uh, uh, tampered with or anything, it, it'll last forever. You know, the, there's so many products out there that are just natural preservatives, you know, pickles. You know, pickling as a technique for storing foods been going since the Ice Age. But we put a date on, a, on pickles, you know, honey. Honey's last thousands of years. Mm. We put a date on it, it's just, it, to be honest, it's it has been ridiculous. It's changing. It is, it is changing, and I think people's opinions and things are changing as well. And one of the things we've done as a business, they've always tried to uh, get that education out there. If it's only a recommendation of optimal quality, mm. but ultimately, you know, that packet of crisps don't know if it's one day before it's best before day or one day after. Yeah. It's no idea. We're, we're imposing that on it. And it doesn't matter what the product is, it, it's still perfectly good mm. for a length of time. So we built a business around the fact that you know, stocks are available in the market at clearance prices because of an arbitrary date. Mm. Mm. So you might think, you know, really, you, you probably don't want that change, but, but I do because the amount of waste that is created through an arbitrary day is absolutely yeah, it's ridiculous. Immeasurable. It, it, it's, um, you know, one of the things as, as a business, we we don't focus on, we don't tell people, we don't talk about it enough, but we, we will do, because it's, it's definitely in the in the plans to, to actually explain more about what yeah. we do. But food waste and the environment and the sustainability of the planet what we're doing as, as a civilization is absolutely criminal. Mm. Creating food, putting all the resources into manufacturing and making it and packaging it and then throwing it away. When there's so many people that are hungry in the world, it just does not make any sense whatsoever. And I, I see examples every single day. And to be honest, the supermarkets are probably some of the biggest culprits. Uh, they'll, they'll put out the press releases and we're doing this with Fair Share, we're doing that with Trussell Trust. And, but the reality is the amount of waste they create and don't publicise, they hide behind the suppliers and the manufacturers and contracts, but the, the amount of waste is absolutely criminal. And it does, it does need bringing to the surface. And I think we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, Hugh, Hugh Whittenstall with his uh, wonky veg, yeah. things like that. Absolutely fantastic. What that did for the farming industry and, and you know, 
it, it made a, it made a difference. Mm. Maybe not a massive difference, and there's still more to do, but it made a difference. And a, mm. the same needs to happen with with package goods and people being aware of why we're creating a problem, a man-made problem that shouldn't shouldn't exist. So, yeah, yeah best before dates. It is a bugbear, and we've got. Probably another couple of weeks yet, but we'll do it. But I, I was tidying out some boxes over the weekend, and I was tidying out my university memory box, hmm. and I found some uh, Bombay mix, January nineteen eighty four, <laughs> and a packet of polos with, with no date on before dates. But the the Bombay mix interests me, so we will have probably a Facebook Live or something, and we'll open that packet yes. and we'll we'll eat it. That's and class. We'll, that needs we'll, to go out there. That's good. We'll, we'll compare it to, you know some Bombay mix that's in there and, and everything else so yeah. you know I, I have no qualms about eating 37 year old Bombay mix <laughs> yeah. but you, you'll try and buy it in a supermarket that's one day past its yeah. date and you won't be able to find it anywhere how much of a problem does it cause for you if any at all like people because we get the odd person getting in touch I've, got, I've only got a month left to eat this and I didn't know and it's like well yeah. you know you've not got a month left to eat it again, again it, for, for us we we we, we do buy products that have already gone past the best before date. Uh, we don't try and buy stuff that's gone gone stupid and you know two years, three years, four years past its best before because products should not have sat anywhere for, for that mm. length of time. But we will mm. we will take products that are short dated, very short dated, on date, past date. But our customers are very savvy and they're they're aware, they're educated that it doesn't make a difference. Mm. Yeah. And. No, the taste test is, is everything mm. and uh, you know I, I just I just get so annoyed so annoyed with mm. some of the things that we do as, as a country and uh, you know food banks I'm, I'm gonna throw that one out food you know food banks you know should should we have so many food but should we be relying on food banks as a, yeah. as a, as a country as a civilization mm. it, you know the growth of food banks it's a success story in a way, but it's just ridiculous. We should not be, we shouldn't be relying on food banks. It just, but then the food banks, a lot of them won't put products available for anybody past the best before date. And again, to me, that, that's ridiculous. If somebody's hungry, let them make their own mind up, give them the choice. Mm. You know, that tin of beans is, know two days past its best before day would are you okay having it you know yeah given given the chance it's education doesn't it yeah but it, when we have conversations with the you know the main main players it's it's like well we don't want to insult people and we don't want to make them think people are second class and it's not to do with that it's no. perfectly good food mm. don't waste it no absolutely don't waste it it's it's ridiculous yeah, yeah. and Agreed. i think one of the things I will, when I when I come out of full time business and go into bits and pieces, you know, the I'll I'll end up becoming a a, a bit of an environmentalist or whatever, yeah. and and banging the drum. And you know, we we both know people like Jonathan Jonathan mm-hmm. Strait, who's you know he, he's a fantastic businessman in his own right. Did very well when he sold his business, but now he's an absolute waste champion. Uh, he works very closely with us. I know he does a bit, a few bits with yourselves as well. Uh, and w- what he is trying to do is absolutely fantastic. But he can't, 
can't do it on his own. We need we need a movement behind him, and uh, I'm certainly going to be you know his, his sub lieutenant yeah. and yeah. continue to go at that because you know society. There's not many things we can do to change society, but certainly that is one of the things we can do, and the yeah. education side, and just try it if it if it doesn't smell or it doesn't quite taste right, don't eat it. It's not going to kill you trying. Don't waste it just because somebody's printed chuffing day on it. Yeah, makes me mad. We talked about it last week, didn't we? Agreed, we we yeah. potentially um, customers listening have to look out for. We might be having a past best before day section, and we've done a blind taste test with our protein bars. Ones, uh, this is to come. We're going to post this on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I did a blind taste of September this year dated protein bar, and the exact same flavour that was January dated. Um, a month past out of yeah. date. I couldn't tell the difference. You won't, because there's, again, if we were going to the, yeah, one few bits I remember from school, that chemistry and things, you, you, if there isn't a reaction going off mm. within the tin, within the packet, within the foil, if everything in there is inert, it's inert until you introduce something that makes a reaction go off. Mm. That might be air or when you open the packet. But if you don't, tamper with the, the integrity of that packaging there's nothing there to change the state of that product yeah forever so but we put a date on next tuesday absolutely ludicrous mm. and well no as, as a business i would absolutely recommend that you put mm. a piece on your site you were telling us to do it three years ago do, absolutely mm. do it and, and let the let the customer make the decision because you'll be amazed how many people out there who are educated do know are savvy know the difference that'll be the most popular part of your site <laughs> I'm not <laughs> interesting because yeah. I've <laughs> I've got quite a big business yeah that is in that area yeah, you, you, do, you just put another uh, piece of content on the end of our blind taste test video though <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be perfect yeah yeah it's, it's yeah well yeah, you guys have been trailblazers for it generally, for you know, um, yeah, pioneering uh, a movement on past best before date products and how they're fine and you know, so yeah, it's uh, there's definitely more that can be done on the uh, you know education side of it, and yeah. we we're going to start doing our bit as well. Um, yeah, I mean, wait, we've been trying, but we're going to do more because just we, you know, just let the let the customer decide. Mm. Yeah, put that section on, and you know, if you go on. You know, Proof Foods website. Every single product has got the date on. There's nothing mm. in. There's no, you know, oh, I got it and I didn't realize. The date is displayed on every single product. We might make odd mistake where we haven't updated it correctly for the last batch that's come in or something like that. That with six thousand plus active products on your site, you're, you're always going to get these little bits around edges that you don't capture every single tiny bit of information right every single time. But it's it's in plain view for everybody to make their own mind up and yeah. I think more and more people realise that it's just an arbitrary number mm. and a lot of the time it's meaningless yeah absolutely that honey's the funniest one they, they found it in two tanker moons too and it was still edible when yeah. they found yeah. it Howard Carter and that unbelievable it's, uh, bottled water that makes me laugh as well oh. it's been it's been coming down a mountain for a thousand years and then all of a sudden it's got it, September it's, next year you know, it's, no it's out of date on Tuesday yeah. it's 40,000 years it's been going through <laughs> yeah and we, we had you know, I could go on about products we've had and pass through 
forevermore, but we had some black sea salt. Yeah. You know, salt. <laughs> it went out of date. Salt was out of date. Salt is salt. It's a preservative. <laughs> it, it, you know, you, it, it's just, yeah, it's just mind-boggling, yeah. the, the, the stupidity of, of what we do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, helped me, it helps me make a living, but it is stupid. And yeah. uh, over time, hopefully, more and more people will realise and we won't waste as much as we waste because, you know, the world has got limited resources and we're just, we're wasting them for fun at the moment. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Should we wrap up? Totally agree. Yeah, let's wrap up. Thank you, Andy. Fantastic. Yeah, amazing. amazing. Yeah, so much there for people to take away. People that either want to start a business or don't want to start a business. Loads that I've taken away. People which want to get involved and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, amazing. So thanks okay. so much indeed. Thanks a lot for Madison's joining us. Approved food. Check them out. Yeah, approvedfood.co.uk, social media, Facebook, approved food. Yeah. Uh, You're on everything, aren't you? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks thanks for inviting me, lads. uh, Yeah, good. As you know, if I can help you guys in any way going forward, the the world's a big place. There's room for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, this competitors and all this rubbish, the the world's massive. And, you know, anywhere I can help anybody, I'll, I'll try and help. Yeah, well, you've you've helped us massively already, and uh, yeah, thank you for that. And you know, and it's not just to sort of blow smoke or anything like that, but your your attitude towards that is yeah. is refreshing. Um, when you know we've seen the opposite um, from from other people, mm. um, your willingness to sort of see the world as a big place and and help people is uh, yeah, it's refreshing. Yeah. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Cheers, lads. Thank yeah, you. Thanks Cheers, a lot. Andy.